if uh, you could help me welcoming our, our panel today, we've got Faith Cummings. And Faith is uh, on staff with us and is a treasure trove of wisdom. Uh, and she's going to answer all, our, all of our questions about the Holy Spirit tonight. It's going to be awesome. Uh, we've got Veronica Morrison. And uh, Veronica is preaching this Sunday about the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and it's going to be really awesome to have her here. And then Tim, Tim Heisman. Hesman. Hesman. I'm so sorry. Tim Hesman. I do know that. Uh, and Tim is also a treasure trove of wisdom, and he is currently in theology school. So he's got all of these things. He was hitting like history dates and things that we none of us remembered. So <laughs> Tim's here tonight, and uh, and we're going to dive into the Holy Spirit, and we'll just we'll just step right into this. Um, actually, before we start, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for tonight, and we thank you, Holy Spirit, for uh, being in us, for working through us. Uh, we thank you that you are our comforter and all of those things that we're going to talk about tonight. And Lord, we pray that you would lead us into wisdom, that you would lead us into, into your wisdom tonight, Jesus, and that we'd be uh, a community that is clear on our theology, um, but also can really dive into the messiness of the Holy Spirit uh, with a, a smile on our face and joy uh, in our hearts as we anticipate what you're going to do. And so, Lord, give us clarity. Give us, uh, give us everything that we need for tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, first things first. Who is the Holy Spirit? I wrote jokingly, is he like the force in Star Wars? Is it just like this thing, this like, if you do it just right, lightning bolts will come out of your fingers, you know? Who is the Holy Spirit? What is the person of the Holy Spirit? Faith, why don't you start us off? Just... Is this work? Yep, it is. Okay. I look at the Holy Spirit as the one who is um, the unifier. He is the one who proceeds from the Father and he proceeds from the Son. Um, he's also the one that lives in each of us. Jesus' um, last prayer was that we would be one as he is one. And I believe that it's the Holy Spirit that brings the unity of, um, of thought and will and heart, uh, both within the Godhead, but also within us. I think that there would be no unity of us with God or us with one another without the Holy Spirit. So I primarily see him as the one who um, unites uh, there could be a lot more said, but I'll yes. let it go there. Yeah, Veronica. That's one for me. That one's for you, okay. yes. Um, well, what you said is so beautiful. We were talking about this before, before and I was like, yeah, what Faye said. Um, I think for me sometimes, though, when I just think of the Holy Spirit, I think of that scripture when I was talking about Elijah was seeking, or he was on the mountain, and he was seeking the voice of the Lord, right? And it came in a thunder and a fire, but it was really this gentle um, this gentleness, this wind, right? And I feel like it's amazing to have the power of God, the presence of God dwell with us, but the fact that it's gentle and that the Lord is a gentleman and he's kind to us and he speaks to us in such a way that I don't know we'll talk about later, but that really makes us lean in and have to have relationship with him is so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Tim. Yeah, um, 
I think when talking about the Holy Spirit, it's important to stay away from calling the Holy Spirit an it, because it, it's not an it, it's a he, right? It's a, a who. He's the third person of the Trinity, um, and he is co-equal and co-eternal with God. And we see this from the very beginning of creation, where it says that the Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters, right? And so there's this very real sense where he is co-equal and co-eternal with God, and yet there's these interesting nuances as well that he also proceeds from the Father and the Son, it says in John. Um, and so there's almost this division we have, I suppose nominally, where we could talk about the working of the Holy Spirit rather than the person of the Holy Spirit. And so many of his titles that we actually attribute to him are titles that speak to the way um, we interact with him, right? The spirit of revelation, for instance. Um, and we know that he leads us into truth and he brings into remembrance the things that uh, Jesus said. Um, and so I guess in, in many ways, I think it's perhaps most important to rest on that basis that he is one of the three members of the Trinity and he's not an impersonal force, right? He's a personal spirit that indwells believers and empowers them. Yeah. yeah. And Jesus in John 14 talks a lot about the Holy Spirit and, and, uh, and Jesus doesn't say Holy Spirit. He says the spirit of truth. He says the helper. There's all sorts of language that he uses in there. Um, and I think it's so interesting because he says the spirit always points back to the son. There's something that is always glorifying Jesus in the spirit. And we talked about the Trinity a lot last week, the, the interplay uh, of the Trinity. Um, but what else would you say, Faith, about the, 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 the person of the Holy Spirit? What else does scripture teach us about that? I love that I see... Um the spirit as, if you look in the Old Testament, you see um, them talking about um, uh, God, God's spirit or the Father's spirit. They don't call him the Father in the Old Testament, but the spirit of God, and that is the Holy Spirit. You come to the New Testament and you'll hear Paul talking about the spirit of Jesus. So to me, the Holy Spirit is... Um, the one who, who works through each one, as far as, as more that he does, I believe that he is the one who is, uh, who gives us power to be witnesses. Mm. Um, scripture tells us that, uh, that Jesus told them that they were to pray, that, uh, the Holy Spirit would come on them, and after he did, they would have power to be his witnesses. So I believe that he is interactive with us, but the same Holy Spirit that lived in the tabernacle and was the power in the Holy of Holies that some were afraid of is the Holy Spirit that now lives in us, and we have that same power, that same holiness of life living in us now. Mm. So it's, a, it's a, a presence that changes us, um, but it's, a, it's the person that we relate to. Mm. I, I, I talk to Jesus, but if you want to know the truth, I'm, it's always through the Holy Spirit. So he's the one that uh, 
that I am connected with. And there's so much richness in, especially that John 14, like the spirit of truth, and he's leading you into all truth, which we're, we've talked a lot about in this series. How do you discern truth in a, in a culture and in a season that's celebrating deception and confusing truth everywhere? And the Holy Spirit is that miraculous guide into all truth that Jesus said. Um, and he brings conviction of sin, which uh, is interesting. Again, not something that necessarily we talk about all the time with the attribute of the Holy Spirit, but that is what he does. And he does it in a loving way. And I think, Veronica, you were talking about that so much, that the conviction of the Lord, but the, gen- the gentlemanness of, of, of the Lord in bringing that. Well, for me, just thinking about roles of the Holy Spirit, I, um, and this for me, he's been such a comfort. Um, you know, there's been a lot of suffering. We were talking about this too. But for me this year and just how I'm so hungry to know God's real and his presence in the midst of things that I don't understand. And, and for me, the Holy Spirit's kind of like, I talked about this only at third service, which is such a bummer. But um, the Holy Spirit's kind of like an, a key that unlocks mysteries, right? And so when I'm reading scripture, it's funny, some scriptures I've read, you know, in some seasons of my life, it's like, this is highlighted to me, like, wow, look at this. And then in a different season, I'll read it again. It's something completely different. And I feel like the Holy Spirit makes the word of God come alive for me. And so when we're thinking of the Spirit, we want to come into agreement with truth, and the word brings truth. And so a lot of times comfort for me has come in God's presence as I read the word and he just speaks to me through it. And so I think, yeah, he does a lot of things. But for me, I would say comfort and the unlocking of mysteries of God's word has been a big deal. It's good. So the person of the Holy Spirit, he is a person in the Trinity. Uh, I love how you said same substance of God, all the stuff that we were talking about last week. If you were with us talking about the Trinity, uh, that is the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Bible talks about the, the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. So there is this inner dwelling of the Holy Spirit, and there's this outer working that is the fruit of Him in our lives. And the question that was brought to us is, does God still perform miracles? Which so many times we talk about the Holy Spirit. And on Sunday morning, we talk about praying for people. Uh, Tim, I think you had probably the most educated and like fresh perspective on that. But the idea of, does the Holy Spirit still uh, perform miracles? I mean, I think obviously the short answer to that is yes, right? And ultimately, that's a question that's driving at the base of this theological doctrine of cessationism, which is basically the statement that God does not work in the miraculous ways that he used to. And even most individuals today who would hold to cessationism aren't full cessationists, right? They wouldn't say the Holy Spirit isn't working at all. For instance, they're still going to hold to the Holy Spirit is essential for regeneration, right? We think, I think it's the Nicene Creed that says, Holy Spirit, giver of life, right? Or when Jesus is saying that you must be born again. And so there's this very real way in which the Holy Spirit Spirit makes us alive in Christ. And they would still very clearly speak to sanctification, that it's the Holy Spirit working in us that makes us more like Christ. And so there's, there's even in that, perhaps where we could see a division where we could even step towards our brothers and sisters in Christ who hold this and say like, but I'm with you here, right? And we can sow seeds of unity. 
However, in that specific doctrine, most cessationists would hold to the ceasing of the revelatory gifts, and specifically that's tongues and uh, prophecy. Um, I think, yeah, in, in some ways, yeah. I'd say it seems like largely in healing, they would hold to not a gift of healing, but in God's sovereignty, I think they would, many would still hold to that there could be, God could just sovereignly act in a certain way that would bring about his healing. Yeah. But then you were saying there was two issues with that. What are those two issues? So the primary two issues that they will put forward as to why the revelatory gifts have ceased is one, um, that it ceased with the apostles, and two, canonicity of Scripture. And so they're going to say that, one, the gifts, the miraculous gifts ceased with the apostles because they were only used for the foundations and the building of the church. And we would say that, I mean, one, clearly this isn't true because there are still miracles today. I believe that the last name, Keener, he's got a two-volume work just called Miracles, and it's just thousands, thousands of really, really scientifically documented miracles where it's x-rays before and after and time-stamped and surgeons attesting to this thing, and there's no place today. It's, scientifically, you cannot say miracles don't happen. And so there's this very real sense where it's like, okay, they still do happen today. And even then the question would be like, okay, where does it stop? And would you say, is Paul the last apostle or was there prophecy after him? And then you can step into canonicity and they would say that uh, the revelatory gifts have to cease and they would probably pull from 1 Corinthians, I believe it's 13, 9, and 10, where it says, for now we know in part and prophesy in part, but when the uh, perfect comes, the partial will cease. Um, and of course, the perfect is Jesus coming back again. Um, and so they would say, well, we, we would say that, but they would perhaps aim at uh, canon as the perfect coming, um, which I would say is just a perhaps improper interpretation of that. Um, and in which case, even you could say, going back to the Old Testament prophets, how many words of prophecy um, perhaps was spoken by the prophet Isaiah that's not recorded in the book Isaiah? And would we say that those things then are not in canon and that that would be like improper prophecy? Yeah. We'd say probably they're still happening, right? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. even to the effect of if 1 Corinthians is speaking to Jesus specifically in that place, we'd say is all prophecy in Scripture a specific revelation of Christ? And we'd say that there's probably moments of where it might point to him in some sense, but where there's many prophecies that are more direct to a specific moment. And so both of those claims, I would say, wouldn't hold much weight. I love when you said it's, they believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Scriptures. That's yeah. really, <laughs> yeah, Father, Son, and the Holy Bible. Yeah, exactly. Faith, yeah. This is just an example. Um, I, I'd like to share a couple of examples. I know a man um, that uh, when I was a nurse, um, he was diagnosed as having a very large left ventricular uh, aneurysm, which whether you know much about that or not, it's a sure sentence for death in a very short period of time. Uh, one of my friends prayed over him, and he was healed. Um, she married him a couple years later, had a daughter, and um, he gave his daughter away at their wedding. I know of another situation, if you want to speak of um, the gifts of tongues and things like that. Um, my sister had a friend who the Lord told her to go to a certain nursing home and gave her the room number. She went, 
Are we running out of time? No, 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 we're good. I'm seeing it. Sometimes Dalton. <laughs> okay. Um, she went to the room, and the Lord told her to speak to the person in tongues, which she did. And the woman who was curled up in a little fetal position woke up, started talking back in the same language that Nancy was talking in and had no idea what it was. And they had this whole conversation that Nancy had no idea what was being said. The nurses came in and said that this lady was from a, uh, an Eastern Bloc nation and nobody knew the language and they, she had just completely withdrawn. Um, so to finish it up, the lady started saying, oh, the wonderful works of God, the wonderful works of God, which was tongues for her because... <laughs> So those are just a couple examples of miracles that God does. I will confess that the list of miracles that I can share are fewer than the list of miracles that I've prayed for that I haven't seen actually happen. Um, but I, I believe with everything in me that God has the power um, to do miracles, but he's sovereign, and why he chooses at times to do miracles and why he chooses not to, I don't have the answer for that. Um, I, I, what I do know is that he's good, that he's just, that he's almighty, and that he's all wise, and that I need to trust him. Yeah. Um, we, a while ago, I had this group when my kids were little as a prayer group, and we would let the kids run around, go crazy, and we would just pray. We were just so desperate for, you know, God and what he had. And so one of the gals in the Bible study, she, her back was really severely degenerating. And so we're like, well, why not? It's a prayer group. Let's pray over you. And so we were, had been reading about the anointing of oil. So we're like, we're going to anoint your back with oil. And it was the middle of summer and we were outside and we didn't have any oil other than this spray olive oil. <laughs> so we like basted her back in olive oil like she was a turkey. I feel like that's better than canola oil. Just it a was, little bit. Was. Yeah, a little it more holy. Fancier. Yeah. And so we just laid hands on her and we prayed and, you know, we're like, yay, we prayed for you. That's great. I, and again, it was like a, kind of our beginning, you know, we got better. Just kidding. Um, but we, we prayed and that was it. And then the next day I get this at my door, which who knocks anymore? People don't do that unless it's like a delivery. But it was my friend and she was just staring at me, kind of crying a little bit. And I'm like, hey, girl, how you doing? What are you doing here? And she's like, my husband sent me here. I have something to tell you. And I was like, okay. And she says, I have to tell you, but I'm really nervous because I'm scared it will stop. I'm like, okay, well, what are you going to tell me? And she's like, the Lord healed my back. I was like, wow. And so we like took a picture to remember the moment. And it was so beautiful and so much rejoicing. And our whole group was like, wow, you know, all the things. But the truth is, the reason why that was so exciting is because, like Faith said, it's not very normal. Um, if we were seeing that all the time, we would just kind of be like, oh, there's a problem, well, which I still think we should do. But we don't believe as much because we don't see as much. And I think a lot of that has to do with our heartbreak. When we, it's like what you're saying, trusting the Lord, like it kind of takes a lot because my will is for, I don't want anybody I love to suffer. I don't want to suffer. And 
Um, I had a, a gal last year who was like a daughter to me. She passed away from COVID. And I tell you, I was on my knees. I would baste her in any kind of oil we could find to save her life, but that wasn't the case. And I remember the moment she died, I was asleep in my bed, but my husband was awake and he heard something from the Lord. He heard the Lord say, I've healed her. But he knew, and me and Faith have talked about this a lot of times in ministry when people we love get sick and we hear from the Lord that he's healed them, we know that that means something different to the Lord than us, that his understanding and his view of death and healing is so much bigger and better than my view of healing and life and um, all of that. So at that moment, my husband just started worshiping the Lord because he didn't know what else to do but to sing. And Sandy, she loved my husband so much. And so when I got the call, I looked at my husband. He was already crying. And I was like, you knew? Were you the one singing? And I was like, did you sing Sandy into heaven? And it was like this beautiful moment that really, I didn't think my, my heart could heal. But later on down the road, our friend had a vision from the Lord about our friend that had passed away. And we were, we've been so sad for her kids that she left behind. So in this vision, she was telling Sandy about her kids and how we were really worried because everything we were afraid of was happening. And in the vision, Sandy has this look when she's confused. And she kept looking at her like she was confused, like, why are you worrying? And it was because she was so in the presence of the Lord that even her worst fear on earth wasn't even something to worry about. And so just like as we've been going through this, I'm like, man, I don't think we would be as disappointed about miracles if we really trusted the Lord and his sovereignty that when we're in his kindness, we can ask him anything, but also in his kindness, he wills the answer when we ask him. And when I have that answer, I can have more freedom to be like, the Lord is good, even when things don't look the way that I think they should. And I think clearly in scripture, when it says, you know, bring your sick and anoint them with oil, you know, and pray for their healing. Like, this is something that we do out of obedience, and we love people, and we go, okay, we're going to pray for healing. Um, but we release them into the hand of the Lord, and we say, it, it's your will, your will be done. Um, and I think there's so many places and pockets of, of, of contemporary Christianity where if that doesn't happen, it, they're really quick to go, well, you did something wrong. You didn't have enough faith. You didn't have enough... And I think that that condemning voice is just not from Jesus. I think it's so clear to say there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So pray for healing with joy, with open-handedness. And if the Lord heals, amazing. Let's rejoice. We know that he, he can do that. If he doesn't, we're also open-handed and we say, your will be done. And it's not a, I did something wrong or a, I didn't have the right process. And we were talking about when Jesus prayed for healing, he never did it the same way twice. He's like spitting on the dirt. He was doing, you know, and I think they, I think there's something so clear in that, that the Lord's communicating and Jesus is communicating. Like there is not a process. Jesus isn't going, do this thing, spin around three times, and then it's going to work every single time. I think he went out of his way to do that. But we were, but we were talking about, you know, that is a place where people, people stumble a lot. Yeah. Can I share one thing on that? Yeah. It was, I um, walked under that kind of um, teaching for a long time where if you, um, if it doesn't happen, it's because there's something wrong with your faith or whatever. So sometimes I struggle and I have people come on Sunday mornings, come forward all the time, asking for prayer for healing. And I've seen some people be healed. Um, 
but I often don't know whether there's healing that takes place. This last Sunday, I was talking to the Lord after I went home because some of the people that had come forward, I really wanted to see them healed. And I was having this angst, like, did I pray for them correctly? And the Lord said, they don't come to you, they come to me. <laughs> oh, yes. And I, and I think sometimes we forget that, that they're, they're coming to Jesus for healing. They're not coming to us for healing. They're, it's him. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Do you guys have anything you want to add? Yeah, go for it, Tim. Perhaps two things. One thing I think is when, when we pray and something doesn't occur the way perhaps we would hope it would, I think perhaps we sometimes learn a lot about the way the Holy Spirit interacts with us in heartbreak. Um, and God reveals himself to us through that as well. Right? I think about, you know, in John where it says that uh, there's going to be sent another helper. Or I think about the Holy Spirit as comforter. Right? And even, even this idea for helper is that word paraclete, right? In the Greek, and, and I was listening to um, someone speaking on this and talking about how it's historically kind of this idea of a defendant, right? A defense attorney and and how it often for the, the families in that culture be someone that's like, he's like on staff for your full team, like your whole life. It's not like someone that changes out. And so there's this very clear almost theme being developed that the Holy Spirit is this person that's going to stand alongside you through the trials at any point during your life, right? There's this very tight, like alongside nature to it. Yeah. I think too, like um, I was last year for me, it felt like a Job year where there's just, if something bad was going to happen, I'm pretty sure it was going to happen to me. It was just lots of kicks in the gut, you know, and um, I love the Lord, but there was a point where you're like, I was like, do you, but do you love me anymore? Like, what's going on? And um, the beauty of it was that the things I knew or had been told about the Lord and suffering were true. Like he, and I felt like Job at the end where it's, you know, I thought I knew you, Lord, but now I know you in a totally different way. And he really is good and kind. And in the midst of suffering, the comforter, like I was saying earlier, is um, what a promise. What a promise that this life is hard and we're going to experience suffering, but the promise of the presence of the Lord is a gift to not be neglected. It's absolutely incredible, and it gives you a taste of heaven and everlasting that is, you know, like I said on Sunday, like God with us, it will be eternity. Like if we don't know that here, if we haven't experienced God with us on earth, my heart breaks for you because there's something to dream and hope for and believe in. Um, that is everlasting. One of the things that I have found in my walk with the Lord is uh, when it seems like the Lord is ignoring me. I don't know how. I don't know how else to say it. I'm asking for things and I'm not receiving. Um, it often reveals things in my heart that I didn't know were there. And it brings me to a place where I have to um, confess um, whatever. It might, be, it might be unbelief, but it might be um, 
my impatience with him. It might be um, anger. There's all kinds of things that um, come to the surface when God doesn't give me the answer that I want when I want it. Um, and I don't know that those things are there. And if, if he had given it to me immediately, I never would have discovered that there were parts of me that he wants to heal or parts of me that he wants to change. And I, we were talking earlier, but one of the things that God is most interested in is um, it's probably the, the thing that he is most interested in is shaping us into the likeness of his son. In Romans 8, we love the verse that says, God works everything together for good to those who love him. And we ignore the verse before and the verse after that tells us that what that good is is being shaped into the image of his son. And so sometimes when God doesn't do what I want him to do when I want him to do it, which is fairly often, um, for me anyways, uh, it's because that he sees as the greater good me being shaped into his image. And I have to accept that when he, he's allowing, you know, my son or my daughter to go through things that I don't want them to go through, that he might be working on shaping them into his image too. So it's like, well, okay, Lord. That is a good segue into the next question. So this is something I think um, any of us doing ministry, we get this asked this pretty often, and especially in the context of the Holy Spirit, especially in the context of like an indwelling of the Spirit of God. How do you discern the voice of the Lord as you're going on in your life? And how is that fleshed out in your life in terms of hearing the Lord and sharpening that ability to, to hear his voice? Tim, you want to go? Yeah. Um, I think thinking about hearing the voice of the Lord for me primarily even just comes out of the concept of prayer, mm. ultimately, right? Because if I was to come up with a little one-line definition for prayer, I'd say prayer is talking with God, and that with there is really important because it implies that he, of course, speaks back to us. And so there's a very real sense in which he gives us his word in scripture, but there's also a very true and deep sense where he speaks to our hearts directly. And I think that is very much through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, right? And so I still remember uh, the first time I heard God's voice was me as a young child sitting on the steps at my house asking God if he loved me. And I remember in those moments that I was always clearly getting a yes from him. And so in any time I'd feel alone or scared or frustrated or whatever it is, I would just return to those steps and I'd ask God, do you love me? And I think even in that very basic step of learning to hear his voice, there's a lot of truth in that because it communicates like God's going to speak things that are true and align with scripture. And so we know that God loves us. And so me hearing like, yes, I love you right? It's something that we can collaborate with Scripture. But I think it all really started with me with growing more attentive to the ways that he was speaking. Veronica? Okay. Um, the first time I had heard about the Lord speaking, I was at a conference. It was a prayer conference, and I was like, okay, we're just, like, going to pray all day. I didn't realize we were going to, like, listen to the Lord, and people were going to be listening. It was amazing. 
um, and really eye-opening, but it was interesting what they talked about, how we can hear the voice of the Lord and how it's so different. Because, I mean, this is something that's kind of hard for, I think, us as humans to understand, but I'm not all things. Like, I'm just one part of the body, and so what I understand is going to be different than Faith and Ryan and Tim. Um, And so some of us see images or pictures from the Lord, um, some of us get like senses, like I'm more intuitive or I'll just have a feeling. Um, some people, like you kind of hear, you talked about this before, but hear a thought that wasn't your thought, but it's your, your voice or um, sometimes it's, it's the audible, something that you can hear, all the different ways. And I think at different times in our life, maybe all those things come up. Um, But we kind of have a mode, I think, that the Lord kind of operates with us, at least for me, different seasons or different things. Um, I doubt my own voice in my head a lot because I'm an overthinker. So for a while, I felt like that's how the Lord was choosing to speak to me because he's like, you got to learn how to discern my voice. And so I had to know who God is and to study his word to be able to to discern when the Lord was speaking and when it was just my own thoughts or feelings. So I think for that was really freeing to know Um, I'm just one part of the body, and I don't need to look like anybody else, but I do need to spend time seeking how the Lord wants to communicate with me. And I think that's the part that's a little bit uncomfortable, is it takes practice. It's actually a discipline. So one of the things they recommended is finding a buddy, somebody you feel safe with, and practice listening to the Lord together. So if you blow it, you're like, well, I know you. You're my friend. So... (laughs) You know, so I did, I had a friend, she used to be a pastor here, Nisa, and we would just practice listening to the Lord and our prophetic giftings together and just seeking him. And sometimes we blew it, but it's almost like when you did it wrong, you learn from that. You're like, oh, that was attached to this feeling of control in me or a feeling of worry. Like I was a little bit worried, so I added something to it. Um, And then the other thing that came up is I only prophesy in part. So if I'm hearing from the Lord, I kind of say I get wary of somebody who doesn't seek other people and counsel in the hearing of the Lord because I'm only going to get some of it. But the Lord is a trinity. He's community within himself. He loves it when the body of Christ needs each other. So to have people in my life like, I think I was hearing this from the Lord. And one of the examples is somebody sometimes gets, the Lord's going to have me do this thing. And then they go rush out and do it. But, you know, when you're kind of sitting with them, you're like, I think maybe that might be for the future. Like, maybe you need to slow down a second, you know, but sometimes you need the community to do that. Or even, I'm sorry, I'm talking so much, but I'm getting it all out now. Um, But one of the things that really irk me is when people are dating and one of the people in the couple is like, the Lord told me we're to get married. You know, I'm like, well, that's oppressive. Like, you know, like the Holy Spirit gets to speak in both parties. Remember how I was saying the Lord's a gentleman, even in how he communicates with me? So therefore, in how he, I'm giving words, I also have to be understanding of, I have to let the Holy Spirit communicate to the person I'm talking to. It's not just what I'm saying for them. Um, I don't control people with the voice of the Lord. I let the voice of the Lord dictate me. Yeah, and that's so important. Community is, it, it's vital. You're not just a lone wolf prophet, just, you know, this is what the Lord's saying. And I think people untethered from community, uh, untethered from the word of God, these are all warning signs that you are hearing from the Lord in a wrong manner, <laughs> in an unhealthy way, we'll say that. Um, and it's vital that we're connected with people. I told a story, this was months ago, but uh, when I was at YWAM and there was a, there was a woman that was praying over us and, and she, was, she was young and she just said, the Lord said that all of you are going to die on outreach. And the whole room was like, what? You know? 
And I'll never forget my leader kind of pulled her aside and said, no, 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 that's, that's not from the Lord. And, and it was, he was so clear. He was really loving with her, but it was a boundary condition for her as a prophet. Go, no, 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 that's, that's just not how this thing works. We all came back from outreach and none of us died. Like it was, it, we were all just fine. And, uh, but, but those boundary conditions, leadership, um, mentors that can help you, uh, all of that is so, so vital. Like you said, you prophesy in part. Um, but tethered to the Word of God, too, it's, it's incredibly important. Well, with that, too, it's like sometimes you can have a word from the Lord, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're supposed to speak it out. Yes. Like some of those things, the Lord speaks to you so you can intercede. And so even that is something that you kind of have to learn. Like, when is the Lord giving me this so that I can speak this to this person? And when is he saying, you just need to pray for them? Um, I'm not the Holy Spirit. Like if somebody's, you know, faith is way filled with the Spirit. So if if it's right, then there'll be unity between us. I always used to joke because Mark Buckley, I feel like sometimes I would tell him what to do by through praying. Guys, have I told you this story? Like, um, this has actually happened twice now. It happened again two weeks ago. But um, one time we were out and we were having a meeting. And um, he's like, I'm going to go upstairs and get a water. Anybody need a water? And I was like, no, I don't need a water. So he goes upstairs and I look at the gal I was with. I was like, oh, no, I really want a water. And I was like, watch this. So I said, dear Lord, I know that Mark is filled with your Holy Spirit. So if you could just tell him right now I need a water, I'd really appreciate it. So he comes back down. No joke, he didn't grab any water for anybody else. He just looked at me and said, here's your water. And then we're like, oh! But like, there's like this point, too, where it's kind of fun to be like, oh, I don't need to control people. If they're filled with the Spirit and if I'm really hearing from the Lord, I could just pray. Unless the Lord tells me to speak, then I do need to speak. But sometimes my first step might be to pray and seek the Lord and say, Lord, can you show them what it is in your kindness? Or sometimes they're struggling with something too heavy that if I were to just call it out, it would crush them. And that's why the Lord's telling me so I could intercede for them. Faith, how about you? We're going to talk, we're going to do a little bit deeper into prophecy in just a minute. Uh, Hearing from the Lord for you. I'd like to begin by saying, um, I think that we all have to accept the fact that we can hear incorrectly at times. I uh, had a time where I I know that it wasn't me um, because it was, it, it very much came from the outside, um, and I thought I heard something, something from the Lord, and I was wrong. And uh, it was really difficult because it shook me to my core uh, um, as far as whether or not I knew the Lord's voice. And so I began to pray that the Lord would help me to be able to differentiate and to recognize um, when it wasn't him. And I, sorry, I don't mind telling on myself. I hope it doesn't matter to other people that I tell on myself. We won't judge you. We but, won't judge you. Um, I realized that the reason it had connected with me was because it connected with something that I wanted in the flesh. And... Um, and I would not have been caught by that if it wasn't that it was something that I wanted. And I think that it's one of the things that we have to be really careful of when we're listening um, for the Lord's voice. 
I do counseling and I have times where I have people come in and say, the Lord told me to, and what they're telling me that the Lord told them to do is an indirect conflict with what scripture says, but they're very sure that God told them. And yeah, I believe that they believe they heard from the Lord. I believe that they heard something, but I think it's critical that we ask God to teach us how to recognize the difference. Um, so that I, I think the enemy will always try to trip God's people up. It's, it's what he does. And we have to recognize that we're not above being tripped and um, ask the Lord for teaching so that we make sure that we don't fall when yeah, and that's where, that's where diving into the Word is so important. Yeah. When I f first became a Christian, I didn't know what to do, and so I just started reading in Genesis. So I was like, that's what we're supposed to do, right? And I hit Leviticus, and I was thoroughly confused. I was like, where, where, when is Jesus showing? Like, I keep hearing about Jesus. Everyone's telling me about Like, when is that going to happen? Like, I thought that was going to be, like, right off the bat in the Bible. I knew nothing. Um, but there was something, there was a compulsion in me to just keep reading, and it, it, it sounds so cheesy, but it's like the Matrix, you know, when he's like sitting there getting this download and he's like, I know Kung Fu, you know. Like I felt that a little bit like reading the scripture, just soaking in scripture was a little bit of like I'm learning Kung Fu. Like I'm learning the, the, the character of God. There was something so compulsive and from the spirit to just dive into scripture and the more you know this, the more you could spot, oh, that doesn't, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem like it's in line with Scripture. Um, and it's, it's just vitally important. Yeah. Or even the flavor of the Lord. I feel like there's like an aroma, you know, that you kind of get used to the more you do it. You're like, oh, that's like the fragrance of Christ right there. But also it's so kind that the, we're human. Like I don't know if you got a little nervous, but you're like, oh, this is kind of scary. But like we are not God. Like we're going to mess up. Like that's a guarantee. So it's like offering in humility that, yeah, I'm human and I'm frail and I prophesy in part, but God's grace. Like he is so, there's times where I feel like I've been praying for people and I've said things. I'm like, oh, wait, maybe that was my flesh. That was wrong. But it didn't matter because they heard something so right for the Lord anyway. So I was like, yeah. I was like, oh, my goodness, Lord, thanks. So there's like that posture of your heart. If you're humble before the Lord, you know that his grace is sufficient in your weakness. And even places where we fail, like to maybe we have a word, but we get nervous and we're like, I missed the opportunity. And it's okay to stop right there and be like, Lord, I blew it but I thank you that you're bigger than my mistake and I pray that you would still get that word to that person. Or like, God, ah, I said too much or I spoke too much into it. Lord God, will anything that I say that's not of you fall on deaf ears? I remember the first time I heard that prayer, I was like, I'm taking that one. <laughs> that's a good one to steal. Yes, you know, that's a like, good prayer I think to there's steal. like the humility in the, and I love getting prophetic words from humble people. You know, like it feels safe and it's like, yeah, okay, well, thank you for letting me know, <laughs> you know? Or even if they say, this is what I'm hearing, but this is your word. So, so you seek the Lord, and you let me know what the Lord's saying to you, I think is the posture of prophecy. I know we didn't ask the prophecy question. No, that's a great segue. That's a great segue. So uh, we did Pro uh, Prophetic Sunday. Uh, it's the first Sunday of the year, and we, as a church, listen to the Lord. And uh, this prophetic 
Sunday this last year, uh, we did a very quick teaching on, uh, on 1 Corinthians 14, where it's talking about kind of the boundary conditions of prophecy. Uh, but one of the things that Paul says in there so clearly is, hunger after the manifestation of the Spirit. That's awesome. That's great, which is tongues, and we will we'll get to that at some point. Um, but prophecy is like, but I, I, would, I would love that all of you prophecy, especially prophecy, seek after this gift. And that's the natural outflowing of getting familiar with the voice of God is that it will eventually become something that's not just for you. It eventually becomes something that's for somebody else. And at, at that point, then our job is to take a step of faith. Uh, what has that been like for you guys, Tim? I know you had a you had a great story about the first time you had a prophetic word. Yeah. Well, I think even just what you're saying about the, I think it was really profound what you just said about you hearing the voice of the Lord and eventually God perhaps like giving you something for somebody else, right? Because I think there's something really beautiful in the gift of prophecy where one, in, in 1 Corinthians, it really clearly shows this, that it's primarily for the edification of the church, right? And so even speaking in the difference between tongues and prophecy, it's, I like would rather prophesy because like people know what's being said and it edifies the people who are hearing it. Um, and so there's this really beautiful thing that happens in prophecy when God gives you something that shows he knows somebody else. And so somebody else has this divine moment that God's using you for so God can say, I love this person and I'm showing them that I love them because I know this about them. And so for me, the first time I ever had a prophetic word, I still remember I was on a missions trip in Iceland and there was this girl across the room who was crying um, and I felt very strongly that the Lord was telling me to go over there and say everything was gonna be okay. And I felt that that was not at all what she needed to hear. I was like, everything is not okay. Clearly she's crying um, and I don't wanna do it. <laughs> and, so, um, and so even similarly to what you were saying earlier, I noticed that especially at the beginning it was, I knew I probably needed to do something when I really didn't want to. Um, and so I told a friend, a close friend that I knew loved Jesus a lot, and I was like, dude, I feel like I need to go share this word, but I really don't want to. And he almost like physically pushed me like all the way over there. Um, and I shared this word with her and I just told her like, hey, I think God's trying to say to you that everything's gonna be okay. And she began to tell me the story about how her family was moving to Denmark from Iceland and she really needed to bring her dog along um, because she didn't feel like she had any friends where she was currently from and she wasn't gonna have any where she was going. And the one thing that she was really clinging on to was just that she would have her dog. And so I left her with that and she seemed somewhat comforted. But I remember three months later, I got this message from her that was saying that that word that I gave to her is something that ultimately gave her whole family courage to move countries. And it was so wild to me how something that I felt so uncomfortable with and something so, it seemed so trivial just to say that's gonna be okay, was something God used so profoundly in the life of somebody else. Yeah, 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 that's, awesome. yeah that's good. Veronica. Well, I feel like, um, just because I feel like for some of us, it's really hard to hear the voice of the Lord. It actually might be hard in different seasons of your life, and there's different reasons. I wish I had this picture, so I'm going to try to illustrate it, and I just need you guys to get it. So imagine like this is God's presence above my head, and there's like a funnel, and I just want to receive whatever the Lord has for me, right? But sometimes it's like we have pebbles in our funnel. 
you know, and sometimes we have a few pebbles and sometimes there's a lot of pebbles and it's because we live in a broken world, right? Like if we all had perfect parents and perfect situations and perfect truth spoken to us all the time, sure, there'd be no pebbles, but that's not quite the way it is. So there's some things that keep me from hearing the, the voice of the Lord. That's why the scripture's so good or like focusing on the presence of God because it helps to like, or who God is, his character helps to remove those pebbles, so that I can hear from him. But also, like, God is so kind that even if I'm not hearing from him perfectly, that does not change how much he loves you. And that does not change his desire to remove your pebbles. It's just that God's outside time and space. So sometimes I would like for him to move faster than he's moving, but his pace is his pace, not mine. Um, but even in that, okay, so this is kind of, we're going, it's the Holy Spirit. So I'd even say in certain times when we're talking about Praying in tongues, um, sometimes praying in tongues when we're on our own is a way that when I have no words or when I don't know how to pray or when I'm very aware of the pebbles and the roadblocks in my intercession or my hearing from the Lord, that's when I really press into praying in tongues. And it's almost like, that's what it is. It's a language that's going on. It's almost like I'm, it's between the Spirit and the Father over me. And I actually find refreshment from it, or even when I'm done, all of a sudden things that didn't make sense start to make sense. So that's kind of the role of tongues um, for edification. Sometimes it's something that's just when you're in your most desperate place or when you wake up at 3 a.m. and you know you need to pray, but you don't know about what or why. Um, that's kind of the role. Yeah, and, and even when Paul's talking about tongues, he said it, that speaking in tugs, tongues edifies you. So if you're in a church service, you need somebody to translate that for everybody, or I'd rather you just speak a prophetic word. But we kind of skip to that last part, and we skip over that first part of tongues edifies you. And there are seasons for me where, I, and I speak in tongues, where I go, I need to, to, to pray in tongues until I f like feel something breaks in me. Like sometimes I walk in some, somewhere and I'm like, something is wrong and I don't know what it is. I don't know, I don't know what's going on. There's like a blockage in my heart. There's, there's some pebbles in the funnel. And a lot of times praying in tongues by myself edifies me, connects me with the Holy Spirit, and after a while, all of a sudden, I feel those pebbles getting pulled out, you know? So yes, absolutely, that is, uh, and we could talk a little bit more about tongues, but, but then even in the, the, the prophetic gifting, I think what's so important is, like what you said, the humility. Um, and I do think that that is vitally important. And I, I, I was thinking about this, I thought, should I tell the story, because it's really embarrassing, and I felt like the Lord's like, yeah, tell the story. So I... Whenever I give a prophetic word, I have a fear and trembling, just a, just a little bit, always. Uh, not that I'm not confident in the Lord, not that I don't think that he speaks that way, but there's always like a caution for me of going, I'm not going to be flippant about saying, God says this to you. And so this last Sunday, somebody came forward and, and I felt like I had a word for his children but he had yet to tell me if he had children. So I was going, oh no, Lord, like, wh what do I do with that, you know? And I said, I think I have a word for your kids. Do you have kids? And he said, yes, I do, you know? And so it's beautiful, it's wonderful. There's another time, and this was probably two years ago. I was running somewhere, I was upstairs building B. We had um, our interns uh, here, and Mark and Kurt were praying over interns, and Mark, I think, kind of just like grabbed me and he said, hey, can you pray, do prophetic prayer over these interns? And for whatever reason, I was just not in a space where I was taking that seriously. And I was going, oh, yeah, sure, that's fine. And I prayed over this girl and I was with Mark and Kurt. 
And I prayed over her and I said, hey, I feel like the Lord's saying this. Is that right? And she said, absolutely not. It's completely not right. And I was like, oh, well, maybe, maybe it's maybe more like this. And she said, no, like it's even more wrong than the first thing you said. And I felt at some point I was like, I need to stop. Like this is, you know, and prophecy is not, it's, it's not a party favor. Like it's not a, like, oh, this will be fun. Let's just like prophesy. There is something that's so important to stop and to say, okay, I don't prophesy with my own strength and like eloquence. That's not what prophecy is. It's genuinely hearing from the Lord and telling that with, with a fear and trembling to say, is this from the Lord? And if it is, then they don't remember you. They shouldn't remember you. They should remember the word that you gave. That's the more important thing. Um, and I know you were, you were talking a little bit about prophecy uh, and maybe how you traverse that. How do you run some of those filters for you, Faith, uh, or help p- people pass them through prophetic filters? I can't remember what I said. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I can share something else. If share it's something right. else. That's fine. <laughs> One of the difficult things for me has been God doesn't give me personal prophecy, hardly ever. It's very rare. And I remember a time where I was praying with a group of people that were very critical if you did not get personal prophecy. They felt like you were a person who didn't hear from the Lord and there was something wrong. And I went through a really hard time. I think what we have to know is that God speaks to us in the sphere that he uses us in. Um, for example, I am a person who feels called to intercession. I have been a person that's prayed most of my life. Um, when I'm praying, the Lord speaks. He'll correct things. You know, I'll, I'll pray one thing and he'll say, no, it's this way. Um, and, I'll, and he'll bring different Um, nations that I need to pray for or ways that I need to pray for that nation. Um, But in my prayers, I can consistently hear from the Lord and, and I know that that's him. And so I can cooperate with him. Um, I think that we have to understand that not everybody's the same. Um, not only are we not the same and that we have different personalities, but we, God works through us in different ways. And one person may have one way that God works through them in prophecy, and another person may have a, a, such a completely different way that the people would say they're not prophetic. And they might be very prophetic, but it's just in a... And well, and it was like way. what you were saying, too. You were telling us before, you're like, some people were telling you, you just need to give the Lord a lot of space, just a lot of space to hear his voice. Oh, yeah. And you were like, that's just, that's not how I hear right. from the Lord. I, I, I've had people tell me, well, you, you're not taking enough time to listen. You, you need to sit and listen. Well, I hate to tell you, it's not always apparent, but I am a little bit ADHD. And sitting and listening, it's like probably not going to happen very well. Um, so I ask God questions 
And then I take off and do my work or whatever, and the Lord always answers. He just answers when he feels like it, which might be when I'm doing the dishes or whatever. But yeah. Well, it's like the book. One of my favorite books is Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Uh, it's a short read if you've never read it, but he just talks about how he's practicing the presence of God in everything that he does. He's doing dishes, he's doing chores, and he's just listening. And it's not always a function of you've spent eight hours in your prayer closet and then you come out with, and sometimes you need that. There are times where I think that's important, and some people that really thrive off of that. But everyone's individual. Everyone hears from the Lord differently. I think that's really important. I want to shift gears just a tiny bit because what you said I think is really important. Where, and you and I have talked about this a lot, and I feel like you and I hear from the Lord in a very similar way. Um, I hear from the Lord for people personally, but I hear that a lot less often than I tend to hear something that is um, for the times. I don't know how else to say it. Like I had, I had a prophetic dream that was incredibly jarring for me uh, a couple years back while my wife and I were in Peru. And it was intense, and it was clearly different than any dream that I had ever had in my life. And I woke up, and, you know, you hear about prophecy, and you go, well, it's for the edification, right? That's great. But I think sometimes we think that edification means, like, positive, encouraging. It's like a K-love sort of filter that we think, oh, it's, oh, it's just got to always be smiling and happy. And when you read prophecy in the Bible, that's not always the case. But how do you traverse that? How do you traverse, like, if you're hearing something that you go, and you and I have talked about that, it's not always necessarily smiley, happy, but it is for edification. How do you discern that? I think we have to redefine edification. Um, Everything is always for our good. But uh, it doesn't mean that it's going to feel good. Um, I believe that God's heart is so for people. I, I believe that, that God loves our nation. Um, and in all honesty, I believe our nation is in big trouble right now. But at times God asks us to pray or God speaks things that sound like things are going to be really difficult. But I think that, okay, so I guess maybe the best way to explain how I feel is the book of Jeremiah, which I taught on, much to my dismay. (laughs) Um, But you see God correcting the people through the book of Jeremiah, And you see him telling them, I'm going to, and oh oh my goodness, I don't even want to hear the things that you're going to do, Lord. That's my feeling or my response. And the interesting thing is that he says, I'm going to do these things to you, but the plans that I have for you are for a future and a hope. And we want to pull out the verse for a future and a hope and, and we ignore the fact that he's sending them into exile for 70 years. 
I think that at some point our hearts have to become one with God to where even when he says I'm doing difficult things, I know with everything in me that if those things are difficult, he's doing it because he loves them and he is going to bring good things. It may be things that I don't want to walk through on the way, but he is going to bring good things through that. So if God starts telling me he's going to do difficult things, bring it on. i sorry, yeah. but bring it on, Lord, because I know that his purposes are to bring about something that's really, really good. I know I'm moderating, but I'm going to share something just real quick, because uh, Faith and I had a long conversation in my office about this today. Um, I was talking a few weeks back about, you know, not listening to the news because it's not good for you, and, and that's all well and good. It, there's, there's some things where it's like, hey, if listening to the news and seeing bad news derails you in terms of your relationship with Jesus, it removes you from hanging out with your friends and all you could think about is obsess about the things going on in politics, that's not good. But I do think that it's worth asking the question, when you hear bad news and it's, and it's real and it's justified and it's not somebody just kind of playing partisanship, it's like, a, oh no, this is a problem. This seems like this is really going to impact us. And you go, I can't handle that. I don't want to listen to that. I think my challenge is, why don't you want to listen to it? Um, is it because it's derailing your relationship with God? Or is it poking at an idol in your heart where you hear, oh man, the financial system might, might go through X, Y, or Z, and you go, oh, I can't deal with that. Is that because you have too much hope wrapped up in 401k or whatever it is? And I think these are the times where we have to discern, discern these. And this is where it is an edifying word, though it sounds like, oh my gosh, this is, this is scary. I don't want to talk about this. Um, I, I look at it as um, if you're driving on the highway, you know, and my, I used to live in Tucson, and we drive to Mount Lemmon. Uh, the highway to Mount Lemmon is dicey. Uh, there are some places where it just drops off, and it's like, you know, it's freaky. And as a driver, the whole time you're driving, you're like white-knuckling it up there because, you know, like Eric knows what I'm talking about. Like you're getting up there, you're like, I got to pay attention. There's a lot of traffic on this two-lane road. There's a lot of curves. And occasionally, as the driver, you catch a glimpse of the cliff on the side, and it scares you. And you go, ooh, that's not good. That's, that's a little scary. That is good. That is keeping you in the boundary conditions of, I got to stay on this road, and I got I to gotta stay focused on what's going on. And I think that in the times that we're, we're living in, and Faith and I have talked a lot about that, um, I'm sensing a lot from the Lord. The Lord's not going, hey, everything's going to be comfortable and nice and great in America, and all the things are going to be fine. Um, I know that gets the applause line. I know that when a speaker gets up and goes, everything's going to be awesome, and it's all going to be pulled together, and we won't have to worry anymore. Everyone goes, amen, and they clap. Um, I don't think that is... Um, what we need in the times that we live in right now. 
And I think when you see the things that are coming down the pike or you see things in a prophetic way uh, and you go, okay, things are not going to get easier, that should be the edification of I'm not here to be comfortable. I'm not here to be successful in the world's eyes. I'm here to follow Jesus. That is my role. I'm here to push forward the kingdom of God. That is my job. Um, and it's not just for church leaders. It's for everybody. And these are the times where that can be good news. And you go, okay, Lord, well, if this is what it takes to get our attention, great. Because I know the fruit of things falling apart in America will be the kingdom of God will grow. People will be desperate for, for Jesus. Uh, those of us that are following Jesus will be refined and will be reminded of eternity, will be reminded of the, the foundations of our faith. And all of the fruit of that for followers of Jesus should be good and leads us to this place where you go, no, this is edifying. This is something that's leading us uh, towards something good and kingdom-minded. But on the surface, you would go, oh, that's kind of negative, you know, and I, I'm a little uncomfortable hearing that, you know. I'm sorry I got on my soapbox about that, well, but yeah. I think that it's really good to know, like, um, the world is falling apart. Yeah. Like, this place is dying, you know, and I think sometimes we forget, but when we know that, I mean, we, there's been hard times throughout history. Like, you know, my family's Jewish, right? World War II, like, there's been Holocaust, like, there's all kinds of terrible things. But with that, like, how do we, the body of Christ, be light? Like, how do we be salt in a broken place? And I think if we jump on the panic train, we're not going to be good to anybody. But if instead we go, man, let me tell you about this man named Jesus. Like, let me tell you about the hope of heaven. Like, why, why do we, or my question is, how do we look different than the world that we're operating in joy in the midst of chaos? And it's because we're, and we talked about this, like, um, Tim Keller says, what I view about eternity affects the way that I live today. So how am I viewing eternity and how is it shaping how I feel about my 401k or, or these things that come up? But I even think that like sometimes we have to be careful. We're not even being distracted when it comes to like seeking the Lord. Like where in my own soul am I partnering with, with the brokenness of the world? Like where am I? And I think that's what even gets us even more uncomfortable where we start to feel uneasy of the Lord really does. He edifies and he encourages, but he also corrects. And I want to be corrected by the Lord because it says his kindness leads us to repentance. And I tell you, when I'm operating in brokenness, it's not kind for anybody. You know, like I'd rather, instead of closing my eyes and operating in muck, you know, I'd rather have the Lord open my eyes and pull me out of muck. You know, the surprise of, I'm in muck. You know, like, ew, it's gross here. Like, I want to not look at it, but the truth is I'm in it. So I might as well let him correct me. And I think that's something as believers, like, that makes us a little uncomfortable about the Holy Spirit. But I think those of us, you guys know, when we feel corrected by the Lord, we're like, thank you. You know, and there's places where I fight against it. But even with that, I'm always blessed by being obedient to God. So, um, yeah, I think with that, with all these things you're saying, I think sometimes the discomfort of the personal correction is something we need to not run from. Yeah, and then occasionally you pop your head above water too. And there's there's big things too. Jesus will judge the nations. You know, like that is a real thing. That is a like our nation is included in that. You know, like judgment does come down on a nation. Now we as followers of Jesus, there's no condemnation. There's no judgment on us, but there is a real sense as you look at the world and you go, there are consequences for where we're going. And God is, does not shy away from that throughout scripture to say, hey, if you keep going down this path, this is where it's going to lead. And it's not fun and it's not great. You know, Tim, you have anything to add? <laughs> okay, good. Um, 
We're, we're right about 8.15, right about where we were going to wrap up. I, 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 I feel like we could dive into to maybe w- one more area, but, um, but no, I don't think so. I don't think we could cover it in nine minutes. Uh, we already covered Holy Spirit. Oh, baptism of the Holy Spirit. There it is. Okay, I was like, there's one that I think we should at least, we won't cover the, the depths of it in nine minutes, but create a little bit of boundary conditions. We got an email about baptism of the Holy Spirit. What do we believe about that? Uh, How do you look at the baptism of the Holy Spirit faith? It's what I need. (laughs) Uh, God turned my life completely around when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I cannot tell you what a change he made in me. It was, uh, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, what else do you want to know about it? That's great. That's great. Do you guys want to say anything about baptism in the Holy Spirit? Tim, go for it. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, I think just perhaps a little bit of context on my background, even in churches, is I've kind of hopped around denominationally quite a bit. And so I grew up in a Lutheran church, and then I went to a Baptist church, and then to a Hispanic Assemblies of God church, and then to an Assemblies of God church. A theological mutt, basically, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, then I, and then I ended up in a in a non-denom church, and now I'm here. And, and so this concept of what is baptism um, with the Holy Spirit is something that I, growing up, it was just around me a lot, especially coming from an Assemblies of God background. Um, and it's something that I've been really chewing on lately, specifically. And so there's, there's several different instances, and primarily the two that we really see or two or three that we really see in Scripture is one in 1 Corinthians where it says, by the Spirit, you were all baptized into the one body of Christ. And so there's a very real sense that the first baptism in the Spirit is just becoming part of the body of Christ. And they also, like in John, it says that the one will come, uh, the one who John will baptize is going to come and baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Um, And so getting a little bit deeper theologically with it, there's this split that happens in the church sometimes with certain denominations of saying, is the baptism with the Holy Spirit a subsequent um, situation to the just first accepting Christ as Savior? And as I've studied this recently, I came out of a tradition that said that there's two very distinct circumstances and there's two baptisms therein. And some would perhaps say there's uh, Luke's baptism, which would be an Acts, right, as you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then there would be a second baptism, that's the one in Corinthians, speaking about how you've been baptized into the body of Christ. But as I look at it more, it really seems to me that we're baptized into the body of Christ, and we see even the pattern of the Holy Spirit throughout all of Scripture, right? You see, with the prophets, the Holy Spirit would come upon them for empowerment for a certain action. And the Holy Spirit wasn't within them, but he was on them. And so the first person we see is Joseph, right? And then Bethlehem, who's been empowered for creative work. But there's this interesting circumstance that changes at the new covenant where no longer is the Spirit just resting on people, but the Spirit dwells within people. And so I think the Spirit moves in power from within us. And so at the moment of salvation, you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And I think there's perhaps one or two things I think is really important to say. And the first is that those who come from backgrounds that have this teaching of a subsequent baptism, 
Um, and it's okay, I think, to even step into those and like wrestle with those and say like, perhaps you even affirm this. But I think it's so utterly important to say that a second baptism, uh, if you wanna go there, does not make you more holy. Or the idea that the exercise of the gifts of the Spirit don't make you more holy. You look at the church in Corinth, right, where he's writing. I, I love this pattern uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 being the gifts of the Spirit, the Spirit of the gifts being love, and then the voice of the Spirit onto orderly worship. And yet Corinthians, that church is one that Paul really reprimanded for their unholiness. And so it's clear that even acting in the gifts of the Spirit is not a sign of holiness, but holiness would be walking with the Spirit. Like Galatians says, you know, where when you're walking in the Spirit, you manifest the fruit of the Spirit. And so I think it's really important to say that if you speak in tongues, that it does not make you more holy than someone who doesn't, because holiness is walking with God and being transformed in the image of the Son. Can I comment on that? Um. I think that we have to recognize that Scripture shows it happening shows it happenings at different times in different situations. You see, in John 21, um, before Jesus returned to the Father, he says, "It says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit.' So they received the Holy Spirit before Pentecost. But then you see the Holy Spirit coming on them in power." at the time of Pentecost. If you look at what happened at Cornelius' house, you see at the very same time they're believing, they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they knew that because they were, they were prophesying and speaking in tongues. But you see in, when they go to Ephesians and to, Samar and to Samaria, two different times. They were already believers in Jesus, but they needed the apostles to come and pray for them, for them to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So it's God's choice. Sometimes God cho chooses to do it separately. Sometimes God chooses it to do it at the same time. I always bow to what God does. <laughs> One more comment, sorry. Yes, but, um, I think that it's important for us to recognize that there's a big difference between the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit grows slowly. My citrus trees, they blossom and then they have these little hard rock hard, you know, whatever they, you call them. They're, it's still grapefruit, God says. Um, and then it takes, you know, a year my fruit of the Spirit has taken a lot longer, but um, a long time to grow the fruit. But you see the gifts of the Spirit coming on people immediately. Mm. And so I think many times that the church has looked at those who have amazing gifts of the Spirit as being mature when they're not. Mm. Um, and I, I think sometimes they look at people who have amazing fruit of the Spirit that aren't very showy with their gifts as not being all that spiritual, and they are. But, okay, to some, I think we have to look at, 
at scripture, we have to examine the scriptures instead of going by um, the theology that people put together. We have to really look at scripture and and work at understanding how God does things and and does he always do it the same way? And if he doesn't, why doesn't he? Um, what are you doing here? Why are you doing... Sorry, I ask God lots of questions. Um, but I ask scripture. So to me, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is the most precious thing that the Lord has ever given me. I don't equate it with speaking in tongues, although I did and I do. Um, but the baptism, and the, to me, baptism is soaking. When I'm baptized in water, mm. I am soaking wet when I come out. Mm. And when I'm baptized in the Spirit, I am soaking spirit mm. when I come out. <laughs> Sorry, I get well, very I awesome. I, I love that. I love 30 that. seconds, but just with that, I like how you bring up the mystery because I think that's where we have so many problems in the church is that we think that it has to look a certain way and then we've yeah. wounded others because we're like, it didn't look the way that I saw it here and so it needs to be like this. But who am I to tell God the way that it's supposed to look and who am I to oppress somebody with what I think that they should do? But I love how like my husband's so funny because if you know Alistair, he's a giant man. He's full of muscles. He really is. <laughs> But when he gets filled with the Holy Spirit, he weeps. Like he can't, I never see that cry, guy cry ever, except for we'll walk into a room and he'll just start crying. I'm like, the presence of the Lord. Like I, I get pumped and he can't, he can't stop himself. My, you've handed him a microphone before to say a simple prayer. And he's like, oh no, oh no. And I'm like, yeah, it's gonna happen. And he just like can't stop. But that's his thing that's so beautiful between him and the Lord and it causes him to be humble before God, just like speaking in a tongue, that can really be like my prayer language is not as beautiful as most. It is really humbling, but these things kind of happen that are so holy, but cause us to be so humble. And so whatever that is, I'm going to trust the Lord what that's supposed to look like, and I'm going to celebrate, again, that fragrance or that aroma of the Holy Spirit. I love that you said soaking. Yeah, I love that. I think that is a great place to wrap up. And I think for, for us, when we're doing our, uh, we have an Explore class for, for people. And if you've done Explore, then you know. We, we do address this and we say, yeah, we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we believe that it happens and we don't know when it happens or we, we can't conjure it. One thing that we, we don't like because we're contemplative charismatic, we, uh, we don't like to force someone to be baptized in the Spirit. Like let's peer pressure you to do it. Uh, but there is that, that beautiful mix of mystery and that open-handedness of, yes, we have some theology. Yes, we have ideas. Sometimes the Lord comes crashing in on that, and you go, oh, my gosh. <laughs> it was not what I thought it was. And there's something so beautiful and unwieldy about the Holy Spirit that we could learn so much theology about the Holy Spirit, and yet we, have, we can never plumb the depths of the experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, so with that being said, let's pray, and then we'll close it down. Jesus, we are so thankful, and Holy Spirit, we are so thankful for you and uh, your indwelling and, uh, and the, the fire that comes with your indwelling. And Lord, we pray even now, Lord, that you would fill us, fill us up, Holy Spirit. Fill us up as we, uh, as we try to walk with you in this very broken, uh, very dark world. 
Um, and we thank you that you are our comforter, that you are with us in the dark places, and that you heal us, not just physically, but emotionally, which so many times that's even more miraculous, Lord. And uh, we thank you so much that you didn't leave us alone, uh, that you're not an impersonal God, but you dwell in us. Uh, help, us to, help us to really not take that for granted. And we pray for more indwelling of the Holy Spirit over everyone that's listening here, whether they're in this room or they're listening online, uh, that even in this moment, you could do so much uh, to come crashing into, uh, into their lives in a very miraculous way. So Lord, help us to be a humble people. Help us to have our, our hands open and willing to, to experience the things that you want to give us and the gifts that you want to give us and the fruit that you want to give us. Uh, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.